Okay, we are in our second week. We're, we're going through the, um, taking a break again from, from the book of Acts, which we've been in for quite a while. And we've been taking a couple of different breaks to go through uh, systematic theology. We um, did theology proper a little while ago, and now we're going through uh, the doctrine of Christology, looking at several key doctrines of Christ. And uh, the, over the last week and this week, we're looking at the significance of the resurrection uh, for the believers. So really zoning in, focusing in on the doctrine of the resurrection. So we're going to continue this. Uh, let, let's start with a recap, though. Uh, last week, we covered wh- what the resurrection meant for Christ. Namely, that the resurrection means Christ's words are true. That Christ was no mere man that his outrageous words and incredible commands are to be taken as the authoritative words of our Creator. His resurrection sealed his authority and status as who he said he was, namely God. And second, that the resurrection for Christ means that Christ's work is accepted. Christ's sacrifice for sin was sufficient. The wrath of God against sin burned to completion. With full payment made then, Christ was raised by God in victory to receive as his gift for his work this idea, this this blank check of forgiveness to go and purchase humans, purchase us, Christians, believers, out of our sins by taking them, taking our sins and casting them into the abyss of his own sufficient sacrifice. Christ's work was accepted. So last week really The idea that the resurrection of Christ completed the work of atonement by proving the person of Christ as the perfect Son of God and His work as the acceptable, once for all, sacrifice for sins. So that was last week. And this week we look at what the resurrection means for believers, for those those of us who have placed our faith in Christ, whose sins have been removed, have been paid for, what it means for our identification to be in Christ. And I will, I will, there's a lot of verses here. There's, this is a tremendously rich and well-documented doctrine in the New Testament. So, I mean, it's, it's absolutely incredible, but you'll want to buckle down and listen up. The, the resurrection of Christ, it may have occurred 2,000 years ago when something happens a really long time ago. Sometimes we don't think about it that much, or we don't believe it to be that critically important, or we might gloss over it for things that were a bit more recent, or what we might consider influential. But the influence of the resurrection for Christians, it's just as strong as it was for those early church believers, as it is for us now 2,000 years later, from the moment that Jesus rose, when He pulled in that first breath of air, it's just as significant then as it is right now. So we'll be looking at, uh, at two points for what the resurrection means for believers. Let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll dive in. Dear Father, I thank you for this morning for the opportunity to open up your word, to look at the in- incredible reality and its implications, the resurrection, that you are not dead that your payment for sin was accepted. We're so grateful for that. I pray that you would give us eyes to see, that you would give us minds to understand. I pray that you would help us to engage, that we would be impacted by this, that it wouldn't just be a 
nice truth, but it would be impactful, that it would change the way that we live, the way that we think about life and about death. It would give us the tremendous hope that you intend for us to have through it. Pray for these, my friends, you would help them to be alert and attentive, that you'd help me as I speak. In Jesus' name, amen. How much do you think about the significance of the resurrection? How much would you say that the fact that Jesus Christ is alive impacts how you choose to live your life day by day? If you're like me, you spend a lot more time thinking about the death of Christ, the work of atonement, more than the victory and reward of atonement in the resurrection. But we would do well to meditate more deeply, often, and practically, not only on the death, but especially on the resurrection of Christ, because Scripture is packed to the brim with daily life significance for those who grok the resurrection. Do you guys know what that word means, grok? I really like this word. It really just means understand. We use it a lot. I don't know why. I don't really hear it anywhere outside of engineering and computer programming, but it's a very common one, and it really, again, just means to understand something. But it, it means a little bit more, like it's a very tactile term where you're, you've got something in your hands, you're, you're holding on to it, and you're looking at it. It's almost like you've got it on your desk, and it's sitting there, and somebody asks you a question about it. You don't have to be like, oh, let me think. You just grab a hold of it, and you can turn it around and look at it. You've got it there right in front of you, and I want you guys to think about the resurrection that way. I'm hoping that through our time today, you'll, as it were, get the resurrection on your desk, that you're, you're able to look at it and understand it and really be able to turn it around and, and get it, its significance, its importance, what it means for you, that it's not theoretical, it's not just a topic of conversation, but it's something that's tremendously real, that, that you hold on to it, that it's significant for you. I want you to grok it. We're going to look at two points on the significance of the resurrection for believers. So namely that the resurrection is significant in its power in our lives, and that the resurrection is significant for its hope in our death. So life to death, pretty much everything. Those are the, those are the two points we're going to be focusing on, and really the overarching point that the resurrection of Christ raises the spirit of believers for everyday righteous living and secures the hope of a final full resurrection on the last day. Again, the resurrection of Christ raises the spirit of believers for everyday righteous living and secures the hope of a final full resurrection on the last day. So our first point that we'll look at, resurrection power in life. The incredible outcome of the resurrection of Christ for believers is the power that we now have to live a hopeful, righteous life. Where once was impending, deserved, eternal doom, now is secure hope and equipped righteousness. We're going to go through quite a few verses today, so get your Bible flippy fingers warmed up. Ephesians 1, 18 through 23. Now, some of these are long, but I want you to pay attention. I want you to think about these words. I'll do my best to explain them, but a lot of the verses, they explain themselves, where Paul is very interested in ensuring that we understand in the different places that he speaks on and other apostles speak on the resurrection. He wants us to understand, so don't wait just for my explanation. 
Hear the explanation that Scripture is providing for itself for the significance of the resurrection, particularly in its power over our lives. This is the heart of Paul, and really now the the prayer of my heart for myself and for you, Ephesians 1, 18 through 23, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The resurrection of Christ secures our eternal life. As we are placed in Christ, we receive what Christ receives. We are seen by God as God sees Christ. In the death of Christ, in our spiritual baptism or identification into that death, our sins are paid for. In Christ's resurrection, then, we along with Christ receive the hope of a future resurrection and the same Holy Spirit power which raised Christ. Now, these things, they're, they're easy to say. They're true things. Easy to say, but a bit more difficult to explain, a bit more difficult to understand. They get really difficult when you're talking about, okay, what does this mean for how I live? So what's, what's really going on here? How can we understand these things practically? Again, when we, by faith, we place ourselves into Christ, we identify with Him. His death is counted as our death, our sin as His sin, His payment as our payment, His acceptance as our acceptance, right? We're vile, sinful creatures. How could it be that God would accept us, that we could get to heaven, that we could be with Him? We can't outside of the payment of Christ, that our sin is paid for, that a death occurs, right? The wages of sin is death, so a death needs to occur. That death was either Christ's death on the cross, which we heard last week, is acceptable, it's sufficient. If we are able for Christ's death to be counted to our account, we're good. But if not, we die forever. That's hell. Where we pay for our sins, we are under the wrath of God for all of eternity, that it, it will never be that our payment for our sin in hell is sufficient. There will never be a point at which God will say, enough. Your sins are paid for. You're good. Come on up. You've, you've paid your dues. You'll pay for your sins forever. Only in Christ, only in His perfect sacrifice is there a sufficient payment such that we could ever make it to heaven. But in that, if our, if our faith is in Christ... If our identity is in Christ, we are this idea, again, of baptism into Christ, spiritual baptism into Christ, and then the picture, water baptism, we saw this with a, with a couple of folks last week, this identification of this vis- visible identification of baptism, where you're saying, I was baptized into Christ spiritually, and now I'm giving a picture 
to those around me to testify to the fact that I have been baptized. I am identifying with Christ. His death, I'm dying. But then also we don't leave them under the water because then they'd actually die. You pull them back up. They're being raised with Christ. And this is what we're looking at. What does that mean? What is the significance of that? I can understand, like, my sins need to be paid for. I need to go under Christ, but then I'm raised. What's the significance of that? I'm forgiven. My sins are paid for. I'm in the family of God. But what's the significance of being raised? Because, again, like, Scripture's going to talk about this a lot, right? Our identification where we are dead, we're, we're no longer our own, our life is hidden with Christ in God. So the question left in my mind is, what about me? What about me? Me, right here, right now. I'm not actually dead, right? 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 Yeah, of course. No, I'm, I'm here. I'm still breathing. Like, I'm not actually dead. So how could it be that I am dead? How could it be what is it talking about when it says that I have died, that my, um, I'm counted in that death, I'm not dead, and I'm, I'm raised? Oh, oh, maybe that's what happened. Maybe, no, because I was alive before I was saved. That's how I was able to be saved. Like, what has actually changed here? What has died? What has raised? What's the significance? I'm not actually raised either, right? right? I'm, I'm still struggling with sin. Like, how many of you, after you get saved, committed another sin, did something, you know, told a lie, did something evil? Um, all of us, right? Who, who among us, after we thank the Lord, I'm saved, I'm, I'm no longer condemned, I get to go to heaven, and then you go and commit a sin, and you're like, oh, oops, like, now am I back, and now I need to, I need to repent of my sins again and be saved again? You need to repent, but it's not a repentance unto salvation. Your sins have been paid for. But if you were raised, how could it be that you continue to sin? How could it be that, that when you are raised with Christ that you're going to keep on sinning? That seems odd to me that that would be the case. And yet I think we're starting to get through these questions, through these challenges, at exactly what's going on. And this is why Scripture speaks to this again and again and again. might bring different tacks and different angles, but this idea of spiritual and physical, spiritual and mortal, eternal and not eternal, mortal, things that will die just because they get old. So in your... your, your flesh is not raised. You're going to continue to sin and struggle. Let's read a verse. That's always a great thing to do if we're trying to figure these things out. See what the Bible says. Crazy. Romans 8, 10 through 11. Again, Scripture speaks. I, I could have gone through 30 of these verses. I'm trying to give you a, a meal, not a bunch of ingredients. Doing my best here. Romans 8, 10 through 11. If Christ is in you, Though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Aha, here's our clue. 
We're not one thing. We're not just a body. We're also a spirit. We're a body and a, and a spirit. And that's the big difference here, that you are still in your flesh. You're still struggling with the thing that's still alive, the thing that's cursed, the thing that's broken by sin, and that's your body. That's the thing that your spirit's wrapped up in. But did you forget that before Christ, your spirit was dead? You were dead in your trespasses and sins. And of course, the obvious question is, but I was alive. I was eating uh, Chex Mix. I was not dead. I was quite alive and kicking, and I actually looked pretty good. Uh, sure, your body was alive, but your spirit was dead. You were, you were unable to accept the things of the Lord because you were dead. It was, it was not alive. There was nothing kicking in your spirit that would be able to respond to God, they would be able to desire the things that He desires, and so you were dead in your trespasses and sins, incapable of doing the thing that you need to do, which is be raised with Christ. And so what was raised? This is what we're getting at. When Christ is raised, your sin is paid for. The things that, you, that you're doing and have done, the nature that you have as a human, that sin is paid for in Christ, and when Christ is raised... Your spirit is raised. Your spirit actually comes back to life. And it starts, it, it's been resurrected. I mean, this is, this is incredible. The power, the authority that raised Jesus from the dead. That's what raises up your spirit. So there's a piece of you, there's a part of you, the spirit of you that's been resurrected, that's been brought to life. That's what the Christian has that the unbeliever does not have. The unbeliever, their spirit is dead. That's why we have this struggle and this difficulty when we're talking with people who are unbelievers. You're going to see this. If you go to EI, you're going to see this all week long with people. You're going to be like, how do you not... I'm presenting to you the most glorious truths that could, that could possibly be, and you're going to shut the door in my face? You're not going to listen to me? Understand, you're, you're, you're appealing to something that is dead. It's like you... Wow, I almost said you go to a dead dog. That's... um sad. Uh, you go to a something that's dead, maybe it's not a pet, but you go to something dead and you're like, come here, come on, let's go. It's, it's dead, like, uh, hello. But we are appealing to that, because why? Because Christ raises the spirit of people who are dead. That's what Jesus does, because He has all the power and all the authority to actually do that. You can't do that but you know that Christ can do that. And you've seen that. If you're a believer, you've seen that in your own life, that the things you didn't love, the things you didn't care for, you've seen it in others, where they've been converted. They've changed. The thing that was dead in them is now alive, and they care about the things that actually matter. They care about the things of the Lord. They care about spiritual things. That's because they're alive. And when you're alive, of course you're going to care about those things. But yet, there is this struggle because your body, your flesh, has definitely not been raised. It has not been converted. It still struggles. Thank the Lord that His death paid for that. You receive the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead, and the Spirit is giving life to your mortal bodies. So you're in, your, in me right now as a believer, my 
flesh is dying, but my spirit is alive. And so I can, with my body, my nerves, my eyeballs, my brain, I can do things that please the Lord. I am being given life by the spirit that God has put into me, doing things that please Him, things that I would never do if my spirit was not raised. That's the idea. That's what Paul is talking about in Romans 10. We've, we've talked, by the end of this, we'll have almost read all of 1 Corinthians 15, but I'm going to read a bunch more. I'm going to try and like break it up a little bit because it's a really long chapter, and I want you to stay with me. But again, as you read these, these are the things that are explaining the importance, the significance of what it means to be raised. Your spirit has been resurrected. There's a part of you right now that has already been raised. It's, it's incredible. 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 36. This idea, again, what about my body? Because it hasn't been raised and it still struggles with sin. What about that? Okay, maybe my, what about my body though? What happens there? Why didn't Christ raise my body? Why is my body still struggling? 1 Corinthians 15, 36, you fool. Oof. That which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. There has to be a death before there can be a resurrection. Okay, that makes sense. Let's skip down a little bit. Verse 42. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So also it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man is from the earth, earthly. The second man is from heaven. As is the earthly, so also are those who are earthly. And as is the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. Just as we have borne the image of the earthly, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. This is talking right to the heart of what it means to be a human, but what it means to be a human created in the image of God. What it means when we sinned and we received from Adam a sin nature, all of, all of humans put underneath the judgment, the curse, all of creation put under the curse where we were created, where it's this invented reality of, of the earth and the heavens and all this stuff that God made. And so you're born as a human, as a person, this idea of being born into this earthly. But God has given us a spirit. We have a spirit. We have something inside us, this thing that will last forever the problem is, is that it's dead until it's raised by Christ. And so the spirit is raised, but the body is still dying. But the body can't be raised until the body has died. And so you need to die first, and then your body will be raised. And so in this struggle where you've been given a new spirit, but not yet a new body, you're waiting. You're, you're waiting, you're longing because you're struggling, it's difficult, your spirit, it longs to do the things that please the Lord, but your body hates it, your body hates the things of the Lord. 
And so you're striving to do the right thing, and yet it's difficult. It's hard because you live in a world that's cursed and you live in a body under the curse. And so we eagerly wait for the day when our body dies and then when Christ returns and our bodies are raised. Continuing on, let's skip a little bit further down in 15. I told you this chapter was long. All the way down to 54, verse 54. But when, this per- but when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. The point, the kind of like summing up of a lot of this, is that the Lord is working towards victory of a defeat of the things that come against Him, the things that when it's it's talking about uh, the Lord being raised in power, that uh, we have the power in our life over the, the, the same power that raised Jesus, that we have that same power, that same power is at work within us. I mean, these implications are uh, outrageous. I mean, it's, it's crazy. You have the, the full-orbed power of God, but it's not so much that I think the, the concept of maybe power can be a little bit unhelpful in the way that we normally think about power, that something is hard and you have power and your power overcomes the difficulty. It's not so much that raising Jesus was difficult, that it was like, ooh, God barely had enough power, but he got it done and Jesus got raised. It's not so much the idea that something was hard, it's the idea of authority, of, of dominion, of, of complete and utter, whatever I want to do, I do it. That's the kind of power that it's talking about, that in the resurrection, when God raised Christ, that that was power, that was authority, because death, sin, they didn't want Jesus to rise, and yet He did, and in that is the authority over everything else, God being raised up to a higher and higher and higher position. All, all of the authority, all of the power, with the idea being that if there's anything, anywhere, at all, that says, I don't want that, God, no matter how big it is, how powerful it is, how significant it might seem, God's more powerful than that. He has authority over it. And that power, that authority, is the authority that's now at work in you. Now, this is significant. This is tremendously significant. Not because you can go out and just start doing crazy things like, I've got so much power, but because you're still in your body, you're still struggling, you're still having difficulty doing what the Lord wants you to do, doing what the Spirit of God inside you wants you to do. But your spirit has been raised, and that spirit has the power, has the authority. And so, on two fronts, one, you can do what is right. You can fight against sin. This is something you could not do before your spirit was raised. You can defeat your sin, and you need to, because you can, because God has authority over it. He's given you the power. He's given you the strength. Sin is not more powerful than the Spirit of God inside you. You can do this because you have the Spirit of God. And secondly, you have full confidence 
that when you die, you will go to be with the Lord. The grave can't hold on to you. Nothing's going to be able to keep you from whatever God wants to happen. And so all you need to do is go and find what God is asking you to do and what God is promising to you, and you can grab a hold of those things with full, confident assurance that that's actually going to happen because God is more powerful and has authority over everything. 1 Corinthians 6.14, now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through His power. What a, I mean, that's, what a tremendous hope. What a tremendous promise. And we have confidence, full confidence in it, because there's nothing that can stand against the will of God. And when He says, I will raise you up, it doesn't matter what else or who else says, I will keep you down. If God wants us up, we will be up. We will be raised through His power. Though we are weak in our flesh, though we still wrestle through the curse and the world around us, God has more power, and that power is at work in us because our spirit has actually been raised. How do we know, though? Like, like no, no, no for sure, for certain, and have a confidence that's worth orienting our lives around, like this knowledge that changes our behavior. There can be knowledge that you know but don't really care about, but then there's a knowledge that actually changes the way you behave and the decisions that you make, and this one's significant. This one has meaning and purpose, because if life's just life and then we die and we're not sure, boy, I hope I go to heaven, but I, I definitely don't want to like, I want to get as much fun as I can out of life in the off chance that maybe this is all, who knows what this is going to be like. How do I know for sure that heaven's real, that I'll be raised, that I live forever? How can I have confidence so that when I go out into the world, I'm trying to make decisions and do the right thing, that it's, that it's worth it, that, it, that it's right, that it's worth the difficulty, worth the sacrifice? How do I have assurance in that? The New Testament's going to point right back to the resurrection again and again for this. First Peter 1, 3 through 5, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to attain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, and it's reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. We have a living hope. This is not a hope that's dead. This is not a hope that, boy, I'm not really sure what's going on. I can see what's right in front of me, and it's kind of hard to keep my eyes on heaven. You have a living hope, a hope that's there in front of you every day. It's alive. You have a spirit that's alive. And Jesus on the throne advocating for you. He's right there. He's really there. And you, you can have full confidence. In the same confidence, you can look at somebody else and know that they're there. You can slap them like, there you are. Pa, pa, pa. You can have that same confidence that Jesus is there because He's alive, because He was raised, because He has power and authority. And what He has said will happen. And He says... That if you have your faith in Christ, you make it to heaven. And so we can have full confidence as we go out into life to believe in heaven, to prioritize eternity over all the things that are still going to be difficult in our lives. 
So the first point being the resurrection of Christ, it grants to us God's power in and over our lives. And now the second, that the resurrection grants victorious hope in our death. Christ was the first to attain a bodily eternal life, right? His body died, but when He was raised, He receives an eternal body. He was the first. His victory over death, that victory where He receives the resurrected full, like we have the resurrected spirit but not the resurrected body. He has full resurrection, the first, ensures our victory in Christ over that same death. Death didn't beat Him. Death that kills everything didn't beat Him. That's the idea of the authority and the power. What more powerful thing could there be than death? What are you going to do when you die? You're not going to raise yourself. You're going to be dead. But the power of Christ will raise you. That's the hope. That's the power of God that we have confidence in, that because Christ isn't dead anymore, but was raised because He's just that powerful, more powerful than death, we have confidence to walk into our own death with the hope that God will raise us in the same way that He raised Christ, where we will have a new spirit and a new body, resurrected. His victory over death ensures our victory. All believers dying until the last believer dies, and thus death itself is defeated as we are all raised in Christ by the power of God which raised Christ unto that same eternal life. Death doesn't win. Death doesn't finish the job because Christ raises us right back up unto eternal life where there is no fear of death because we're not going to die again. That's, we're, we're raised. The idea of spiritual resurrection, what we were talking about in 1 Corinthians 15, the mortal into immortality. Let's read Romans 8, 20, 22 through 25. It gives a really good, clear picture of what's going on here. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, right? We have the Spirit, the first fruits. Our spirits have been raised. But we ourselves within, we groan, waiting eagerly for, the, for our adoption as sons, the, redemp- the redemption of our body. Our spirit's been raised. Our body has not. For in hope we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we eagerly wait for it. See, the world around us is not super keen on death because death beats us all. Death is the victor. Death is the end. We try to hide it. We push it to the sides. We try not to talk about it or think about it too much. We're kind of scared about death. But for the believer, death is victory. Death we long for. While we're in life, we're, we're striving, we're working for the rewards of heaven. We're, we're, our bodies are suffering and it's difficult. We're groaning both because of just it's hard to live in a world that's cursed, but also it's hard to be a Christian when so much around you is not Christian. And so we strive and it's hard and it's difficult and we look forward to the day when we rest, when we sleep 
as the New Testament will say again and again, because it's not death. When we die, we are raised. We have that hope, and it's secure because Christ was raised, because Christ has His new body. And we, too, can look forward to that because God is powerful. Because Christ was raised, we will rise. And so we don't have to fear death because death doesn't win for us. Life wins. Christ wins. What a tremendous victory. That eager hope. 1 Corinthians, guess what chapter? 15, verses 20 through 26. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, after those who are Christ's at his coming. Then comes the end, when he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy that will be abolished is death. Our death is the defeat, the final enemy, the big boss. When we die and then are raised, Christ wins the final victory over the final enemy, the thing that kills us all. Because of the curse, because of our sin, Christ wins his final victory over that when we die, and he says, no, I will raise these people. These are my people. I will raise them. They will be alive, and they will be alive forever, and death will have no more power over them. That's what we have to look forward to. That's the, the victory, the hope that we have, even as we look forward to getting older and dying that we can say, in my death is the victory of Christ. When the last living thing dies, the authority and power of the curse of sin and the influence of Satan and his demons end. And then what is left? Only the authority and power of God. The eternal life of believers and the eternal death of unbelievers. That's it. That's what's coming. And so all, for all the challenges and difficulties, heartache and sadness that we have to endure here, right now, we have hope. And what an unbelievable, incredible hope. We can all see that sin has made a vicious mess of every living thing. And so every living thing must die. But God, through Christ, has defeated death and is making alive by resurrection new life in us. And it's coming it's coming. After we die, we are fully raised. Whenever it may be, I don't know when you're going to die. You might get hit by a bus later. But in that is the victory, another victory for Christ, because you did not die forever. His victory, as you have placed your identification in Christ, both His death, the payment for your sins, and your resurrection to eternal life, Christ is winning in you. Incredible. John 6, 37 through 40, as we get closer to the end here. Here's what's going on, lest you think maybe that all this resurrection is just really good for you and you're not really sure how this ties back into Christ. John's going to hammer this home for us. John 6, 37 through 40, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. 
For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that all that he has given to me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. I mean, that's unbelievable. I don't, we need to think about that more. That needs to change the way that we live, thinking through, when I'm dead, in the grave, powerless and incapable of doing anything else, God in His power, because He died to save me and rose for my eternal life, He's going to pull me back out of that grave. I'm not going to stay dead. I have no power. I have no capability for all the things I'm going to do in life that I might consider to be sacrifices and difficulties. They will all be worth it because I have faith because of the spirit that's already been raised. I have faith that when my body dies, I will be raised to an eternal life, an eternal reward that all that we have striven over, all that we've done through the power of God, through the raised spirit, it will all have been worth it. And I will live forever because God doesn't lose any of us. His power is complete. In closing, I want to read this, bringing this all back around. Again, thinking through the significance of the resurrection for us. I want you to think about this. Romans 8, 31 through 39. Thinking about the power of Christ. You guys struggle. You guys have some difficulties You're going to wrestle with the flesh that remains. You're going to make some bad decisions. You're going to need to confess those things. But I want you to think about the power that God has for you, that if you've believed in Christ, if you've identified yourself with Christ, this is the way Christ views you. This is the power that Christ has over you, even in your continuing struggle. Romans 8, 31 through 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, Who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? You think you need something that you don't have? Really? God gave you Jesus Christ as a sacrifice for your sin. You don't need anything else. For all the things that you might think you need, If God has given you Christ, there's absolutely nothing that He's going to withhold from you that you actually need. Helena also, with Him, freely give us all things. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Jesus Christ is the one who died. Yes, rather, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? who also intercedes for us. You think you're more holy than God when you're struggling with your sin, when you're having difficulty. Who is a greater judge than God over you? You are not a greater judge. You have, when you're evangelizing to someone that says, I've done too many bad things. Yeah, you've done some terrible things, things that will send you to hell forever, and God will judge you for those things. But if you place your faith and trust in Christ, don't you dare tell me that you have more judgment over yourself than God does. And God says, I don't see any of it. If your sin has been paid for, it's been paid for completely. Who is going to bring a charge against you? Jesus Christ died, and His sacrifice was accepted as demonstrated by His resurrection. 
And now He sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. Verse 35, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Just as it's written, like all of these difficulties, all of these things that are hard in life, just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. It's hard to be a Christian. It's difficult. Being slaughtered like sheep doesn't sound like a lot of fun. But what does it say? Verse 37, but in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. For I am convinced, I am convinced that neither life, sorry, I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I mean, that is tremendous. That changes the way that you live. That changes the way you think about the things that you're going to do today and tomorrow and for the rest of your life, where it's okay to pick things that are hard. It's okay to choose to do things that only have eternal significance because eternity is forever, because we know that there's nothing that's coming against us. There's nothing that we're going to sacrifice that's not going to be worth it because Christ wins, Jesus wins. We're going to make it to heaven. We know we are because God is more powerful than everything. He's defeated death. The thing that you might say is the end is really just the beginning of your eternal life. And so it's worth it to spend every single waking moment striving to do things that matter for eternity because you're going to make it. If you've believed in Christ, if you've placed your faith in Him, if your sin has been paid for, you're going to make it to heaven and you're going to be there forever. And so store up treasure in heaven because it lasts forever. Spend your life. Do things that the world says, that's ridiculous. Why would you do that? Well, it is ridiculous if the thing that has the most power is death if death is the end. But if death's not the end, then it would be foolish to behave as if it was. So live for eternity. Live in the hope that death is really just the beginning of you reaping the rewards that you sow in life. Because there's nothing that can stop Jesus from raising us because He's alive. Let's pray. Dear Father, I thank You so much for Your Word, for the truth contained, for the power that it gives us to understand, to live a life that's right, striving over the right things. We thank You that You are alive, that You have defeated death, and that we have hope in our resurrected spirits to look forward to the day when our bodies die where we no longer have any power, influence, that we look forward to the day when you will raise us because you are alive, because you have defeated death, because you have more power over the death which will claim us but did not claim you, that you will raise us. I pray that in life, between now and the day we die, that we would live in hope of the expectation of our resurrection, expectation of eternity that you would give us greater and greater and greater conviction day by day to be willing to do the things that seem like sacrifice, slaughter, because we know that we live forever, that we reap the rewards that we sow. Let us sow not sparingly, but richly in our lives 
through the power of the Spirit that's inside of us, the Spirit that's been raised, the Spirit that strives, that you would help us to be putting to death our sin, putting to death those things which are earthly and mortal and dead until the day that we die. Pray that you would give us this strength by your Spirit, more so day by day. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.